So how are we doing, church? It's good to see you guys. Hey, let's take a moment right now and welcome those who are online. We love you guys. We're so grateful for you. Uh, not just in this country, like actually all over the world. We're thankful for you guys. Can we welcome them? Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, well, welcome. We're in week two of a series that we've started called Rescued. Uh, we're actually in chapter 10 right now. Uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, and if you haven't been around Grace for a while, we are actually spending 40 weeks running through the book of uh, Romans. We generally run through books of the Bible. That's kind of how we do things here because we believe that uh, for you to know God, uh, the, book, the Bible is the best way to do that. And so we're going to run through the books of the Bible today. I'm going to give you a little recap of what we went through um, last week. So we started uh, chapter 10 with verses 1 and 2. Let's take a look at that right now. Uh, so this is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to the church in Rome. And now the thing that you need to know about Paul in this part of his writing is that he's really demonstrating his heart for lost people. And he's really demonstrating specifically his heart for Israelites, right? So this point in time in history where it is, Paul is after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of Jesus. And so and Paul is preaching, Jesus has already come and he's already gone. What the problem is, is that the Israelites, which Paul is a Jew, he is an Israelite, he was a teacher of the law of Moses over Israel. And so when God gets a hold of his heart, he has this transformation, becomes a follower of Jesus. Now he longs for his fellow Jewish people to know Christ. He says this, brothers and sisters, this is the Christians that he's talking to. Many of them were once Jewish or are Jewish and Christian. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. One of the things that we talked about last week was this word desire. And we said this, we said that desire is the primary way in which God transforms us. In other words, when we become a follower of Jesus, he begins to transform all of our desires. Things that we didn't love before all of a sudden become new for us. We love them because they point us to Jesus. And some of the sinful things and the junk that we were doing before, we go, that's just not my life anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. God fundamentally begins just a 180 degree change in our desires. And here, one of the things that we see is that Paul's desire lands on the Israelite salvation. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for God or to God for the Israelites is that they be saved. He wants those who are of his fellow race to be followers of Jesus. And he's brokenhearted over the fact that they're not. Verse two, it says this, for I can testify, and that's a legal term in the Bible, to go on record about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So the word zealous means passionate. So when Paul looks at the Israelites, he doesn't see people faking it. He doesn't see people pretending. He doesn't see people just following a bad religion. What he sees is people genuinely trying to connect with the Father. But because they missed Jesus when he came into the world, now they are disconnected from the Father as well. And so it's really interesting because if you're here today and you're trying to figure out your relationship with God and you're going, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know what I believe about God. I surely don't know what I believe about Jesus. One of the things that God did for you, just as he did for many of us who became Christians over the years, is that he made a very clear path for us. See, God didn't give you 10,000 different paths to try to figure out for yourself which one was the right one for you. What he did actually do for us instead was give us one path, and that path was through Jesus that under no other name man up man or a woman be saved and said, I'm going to give you one super clear path. And this path will be open to anyone, anyone who wants it. And so if you want it, all you have to do is believe, which is really the word trust. All you have to do is trust Jesus with your life. 
In other words, you abandon the concept of a staircase that you're trying to build with your good works and good deeds to get you to heaven. Instead, you decide, I'm going to take this one super clear path that God gives to us instead of leaving us with 10,000 different paths that hopefully maybe one of them was the right one. God said, I'll give you one path, and all you have to do is follow that path. See, he says, I can testify that there's plenty of people who are passionate about God, but because they missed Jesus, they didn't have the right knowledge to connect them to the Father. And that's exactly what's happening in the first century. It's exactly what's happening in the 21st century, too. There are people all around us. In fact, when I talk to people about God, generally speaking, and I talk to people about God all the time that are not Christian, I don't, I'm not met with animosity. I'm not met with a kind of like pushback. Like, I don't want to hear your Jesus stuff. People are interested. People are genuinely trying to understand and know God in their life, but they don't have a toolkit to be able to do so. And Jesus was the toolkit that God sent into the world so that we would be able to understand him. The Bible calls Jesus the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And so in your moments when you're thinking, I wonder what God looks like, and you're thinking, I don't know even how to approach the entire subject of religion. What a big, I mean, what a big deal that is. You boil it down to one thing, and that is asking yourself the question, who is Jesus? And are the claims of Jesus that he really was not just a good guy, but he was God? And that the Father in heaven resurrected him from the dead. If those two things resonate with you, if those two things are things that you can believe, you've started your relationship with God. If those are not things, that's cool. We can continue to have conversations and build arguments about that. And when we talk about building arguments, we're not talking about arguments. We're talking about just ways of thinking. And so as we talk about this, we ended last week's message in verse 13. And it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This could very well just say anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do to be rescued Rescued from what? Rescued from your own brokenness and your own sinful choices and rescued from a life apart from God. If you want to be rescued, that is the choice that you have in front of you. Between verses 13 and 14, 14 is the verse that we pick up today in today's message. There is a challenge. There's a problem. And that is how do we as Christians relate to people who are far from God? How do we help people take their next step toward Christ? What are we doing about that? And he does, he asks a series of questions in verse 14. It starts like this. Here's the first question, verse 14. How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And they're great questions. They're big questions. They're relevant questions for us today. Let's take the first one. How can they call on the one that they've never believed in? So let's, this is, at a face value here, this looks like a very basic question and answer. And in some degree it is. Paul is literally saying, I want the Israelites and I want all lost people to know God, but how can they call on him if they don't believe in him? I mean, when was the last time you got super stressed in life and you were thinking, you're just out of your mind, like, I don't know what to do next. And you were like, Easter bunny, please help me. You know, no one does that because it would be ridiculous but you need to know that people who are not familiar with God and are not connected to God through Jesus, they feel just as ridiculous going, God, would you, could you do something for me? It seems ridiculous for them. And Paul goes, you can't actually, you can't actually get any help from him. How can I call on him? How can I get something from him? How can I help, get help from him if I don't believe in him? And then there's a secondary thing that takes place in, in this, and it's a, it's a little bit deeper. 
It's, it's, the, it's the idea that if you are a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what you have to deal with the pressures and the difficulties of life is just your talent and your abilities. Now, now, I'm not throwing stones at you because I didn't grow up in the church and I don't have a Christian background per se. I learned these things from other Christians, went to seminary and did all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like I was you. I didn't have any knowledge of God. I did not know anything about God. And so when you go through struggles and you go through difficulties, you have only your own resources and only your own strength to deal with those situations. And everyone suffers. And that is not a religious question. That's a question of living in a broken world. It's a question of humanity. Every person suffers. And at some point in life, every person will hit a wall. And that wall will be more than what your natural abilities or your talents can deal with. So how do Christians suffer differently? We suffer differently at least in two different ways, right? The first way is this. When you become a follower of Jesus, and Paul wrote this, he said, brothers and sisters. Paul saw his relationship to other Christians differently than we do today. He saw that not only uh, does he have a set, a new family, brothers and sisters, but often those brothers and sisters that are the part of the church that become our family are closer than our actual family. These are people who understand us maybe in ways that the family that we came from, like mine, was really broken and messed up and abusive. My family as the church understood me in ways that they could never understand me. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of a body, part of a church, part of a group, part of a community. There's no such thing as a healthy Christian doing church by themselves or doing life by themselves without a community of faith. We belong to each other. And what I've seen over and over and over here at Grace is I've seen people fall down because everyone falls down. I've seen people fall down and I've seen the church come along beside them and pick them up. And I would encourage you, if you're not involved in one of our small groups, get involved. It's not enough to come and hear the lecture and then go. Because when you fall down, I may not know you, but you know what? Your small group will. And that person can come along. And when you fall down, they're going to, no, no, you're not by yourself. You're not going to struggle by yourself. You're not going to walk by yourself. The Bible says we as Christians bear one another's burdens. That means when you fall down, I pick the burden off of you and I carry it for a while so that when you can get back up, you can carry it. But when you're by yourself, you have no community of faith around you. You only have your strength and your abilities. And sometimes that's not enough. But the second thing that happens when we become followers of Jesus and why we suffer differently is this, because now we have the Holy Spirit in the inside of us. And the Bible, for those of you who are Christians in the room, the Bible has said something that you've heard over and over and over again, but never maybe really thought about the full implications of it. There's a verse in the Bible that says that God gives you the peace that passes all understanding. And it feels good. Like it's just the words sound good and feel good. Yeah, like well, that would peace that passes all understanding. But what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means peace that makes no sense given your circumstances. Now think about that for a second. Peace that makes no sense given your circumstances. That means that your circumstances may be telling you there's no hope, there's no vision, there's no direction, and there's no recovery. And some of us in the room know exactly what that feels like. But then the Holy Spirit comes in behind. And he says, no, no. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is unseen is eternal, and everything else is temporary. Every bit of suffering and struggling is temporary. It's never, ever going to go on forever. The Spirit now gives us the ability to respond to our problems based on his strength, God's strength, the Father's strength, that now courses through our lives. We don't suffer the same way. 
as those who have no hope. And I want to encourage you that if you're a person, you're like, yeah, I don't have that hope, press in. Because the Spirit desires to make changes inside of you. God desires for you to be whole. God desires for you to walk in goodness, purity, and wholeness. That's what he wants for you. Because that's where deepest happiness is found. That's where we are made whole. But I'll tell you, some of us don't make it there. I remember uh, when I was in high school, my whole family fell apart. My father left for, I think, the second time. He was an alcoholic, used to beat us. And uh, I was 17 years old. And I just, I did everything that I possibly could that I thought would make me okay. Went to the right parties, wore the right clothes, hung out with the right people, joined the sports teams. It just didn't work. I, I, I just... I don't know how to describe it. I just came to the end of myself. And one of the great gifts that God has given to me as a Christian is great memory of what it's like to be a non-Christian for me. And at 17 years old, I just came to the end of myself. And I took my mom's uh, bottle of sleeping pills, tranquilizers, and I took the entire bottle. And then I went to school. And my coach, Coach Kane found me in the bathroom two hours later, and I barely lived through that day. I just wanted to go. I wanted life to be over. I wanted to stop, and I could not deal with the pain anymore. All I had was what I had, me. And I think about, like, all the things I would have missed out on, like my amazing wife, who I love with all my heart, my two boys that are the heartbeat inside of me, my daughter who is my great joy in life, you and the privilege of being able to teach here. I would have missed it all because I came to a place where I said, I'm not enough. I can't do it. And Christians like you, came and said, you don't have to. And they gave me the beautiful picture of the gospel. And I learned for the very first time that all of my sins could be forgiven and that God would restore and break the chains from the past. Some of you right now need to know that word, that God can break the chains from your past. What has attached you to brokenness and death is not what will attach to you forever. Why? Because Jesus breaks that chain through the cross. The gospel gives us hope. We don't suffer in the same way. But the problem is, sometimes people will come and they'll say things like, but that's just a crutch, man. And I'm going to say, yes, it is. (laughs) That's exactly right. It is a crutch. I lean on Jesus every single day of my life. My resources are not enough. My strength is not enough. And I have no problem with that. I let Jesus be for me what I cannot be. The challenge right now, I think, for us is that we are so frustrated. One of the big challenges, I, 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 read, this, uh, I read this in an, uh, um, actually, I heard this study. Um, I read this study within the last three days that came out. I don't, I don't remember who, where it was from. You can check out online. But uh, it's a study that described Americans across the country, Republicans and Democrats. We don't talk about that. I just say that to say different sides. And they all describe themselves with one word, 
One word. And the word was angry. The word was angry. And one of the things that, that I kind of realized is that, you know, sometimes the church, and we find ourselves in places where we have invested so much in the wrong things that it just makes us angry. You see, because if you're, all you're investing in is this world and your strengths and your abilities, then when the world gets twisted up in a way that you don't like, you fall apart. We get angry and frustrated. And I know there are people in the room who have been angry over the several years that, have been, that everything's been up and down. Just everybody's frustrated. But here's the thing. We're not moralists as Christians. We've been taught for too long in the church to be moralists and not that the gospel is most important. Moralists basically believe that people need to be good and behave and do the right thing. How can they do the right thing if they don't know Jesus? This is what he's saying. He's saying, how can they reach out to him if they don't believe in him? The answer is they can't. They shouldn't. They won't. They act out of their sinful nature. That is their nature. But we are the church. We're not supposed to be so tied to this world. The Bible in Hebrews says your citizenship is in heaven. We don't have roots here. We have roots in heaven. Our strength comes from heaven. Our goodness comes from heaven. It's not here. We're not moralists. We don't act in that way. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. Forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. Every nation on the planet will one day perish. The Babylonians perished. The Persians perished. The Chalcedonians perished. The Roman Empire perished. They all perished. One day, all of these things will be gone and the word of the Lord will endure forever. And we root ourselves in the, 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 root, the word of the Lord. Second question is this, and how can they believe in the one who they've not heard? This is a great question. I mean, how can someone believe in something that they've never heard about? It's true. If we don't tell people about the gospel, how can they possibly know what to believe? If it's true in the first century that Paul said that Jews were disconnected with their great history of God, they were disconnected from the father because the son wasn't embraced, how much more so than today? I want you to think about this. If you go out and you were to talk to people about uh, Jesus today, I mean, if you just talk to people about God, and you said, hey, what do you think about God? You will come up with all kinds of different answers, you know? These are some of the answers that I've gotten over years. Well, you know what? I think God is like, I always want to do this in a surfer voice for some reason. But uh, I always, I, 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 feel like, I feel like God's kind of like a, he's kind of like an energy that flows through the world, you know? And every once in a while, we attach that energy. And, and I'm just like, okay, cool. But he's not really a personal God. Other times I'll, I'll have people who go, well, God, God's essentially the one that basically makes sure that you follow all the rules. That's another one. And then another one is, God is just like the great kind person in sky who just thinks I'm the deal. That I'm just, I'm it. Like I'm, I'm God, he just, he favors everything that I do. And in the absence, watch this, in the absence of us telling them about Jesus, they will know nothing about God. And in the absence of know nothing about God, they will make up their own version of God. Our job as followers of Jesus is to have the heart that the apostle Paul has for people who are Jewish that, didn't, that missed Jesus and didn't know God. How many times do you stay awake with your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers that don't know Jesus? I mean, that should be something that stirs our heart. And it's one of those things that's true even with kids 
And if, you're, if, if you have young kids today, I mean, just think about it. Like, this is important. You cannot take a neutral stance on who Jesus is with your kids. You cannot say to your kids, I'm going to let you make those decisions. And here's the reason why. Because you don't do it in the most important things in their life now. You don't say to little Johnny, hey, Johnny, do you want to go to school today? Johnny's like, no. You're like, great, whatever you decide, pal. You know, that's, we don't do, why, do, why do you not do that? I have three children, two boys and a girl. My girl would have gone to school. My two boys, not so much. They'd just be really handsome morons. But that's just it, like, that's it, you know? But with my daughter, she would have done it. We don't do that because it's important not to be neutral. We have, like, just a temporary stewardship over our children. We have maybe 15, 16, 18 years, it's millennials, so 35 years of, of parenting. Just kidding. I'm joking. I love you guys. You guys are good. You guys are joking. We have a temporary stewardship over these kids and in their lives. To be neutral about this is to be unkind about this. They need to hear Jesus or they'll just make up a version of Jesus that may not, they may not be the right one. So there are two types of churches right now that actually exist out in the world, uh, at least in America here. And I want to talk about these two different types of churches that have two different approaches to make, helping people take their next steps toward Christ. There are go and tell churches and come and see churches. Go and tell churches and come and see churches. Now, come, go and tell churches tend to be smaller. They tend to be really missional. They tend to be focused on making sure that what happens outside the walls of the church are really the most important things. And we absolutely need these people in the church. And the reason for it is because some of you are go and see people, right? And go and see people are people who actually will go out and talk to people about Jesus out in culture and and in society because those people will never, ever step foot in the door of a church until you are there to sit next to them in church on Sunday morning. They won't step foot in the church. They feel too condemned by the church or they feel like they're not worthy enough to be in the church. Both are silly. But they need your voice to come into their life and say, you know what? I understand how hard it is. And if you've been in the church for a long time, again, good memory about what it was like to be a lost person. I remember walking into the church and I remember the weird language we use, like sanctification, justification, and salvation. These are not words that you use. You don't go to Publix and say, I'd like two sanctifications. You know, like, it just it's not a thing that we do. No one uses those words in real life. And so even good things like grace is a very healthy church. But one of the things that can happen is even in healthy churches, it can push people to the margins. Why? Because when you walk into a group of people and they're all hugging each other and they're excited to see each other, you automatically feel like an outsider when you come for the first time. And that's never the way our heart is for anybody. But at the same time, even those things can make people feel like outsiders. And so... Go and tell people are people who actually make people feel comfortable taking their first steps into the church, and you are absolutely necessary. So go and tell them, and then bring them to come and see. Because Christians are not Christians that are by themselves. We are part of a body. And then there are come and see churches, and come and see churches are very different. Um, Like part, I mean, so grace is a go and tell and come and see church. We didn't major on one, we majored on both. A go and tell and a come and see. We want you out in the community talking to people about Jesus. It's, ne- it's a necessity. But we also want you to come and see. And what that means for you, because I get it all the time, and some of you guys get it, because you'll come up to me before service and go, hey, Pastor Mike, hey, um, I, uh, I brought my cousin here who has never been in church in their entire life, so this is your one shot to get them saved. If you would just uh, like make that happen this morning, that would be great, man. Uh, so I get it all the time. It's fine. I get it. 
But here's what we know. We actually know that people's stories matter to you. And when you've spent three years with your neighbor trying to get them to church, here's our promise. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to do excellent things up here. We're going to do great. I'm not going to just suddenly say something one day where you're going to go, oh my God, he's never said that before. I have no idea. I'm so sorry that you came. You know where I got this from? My friends. I became 17 years old, 18 years old when I became a Christian. And... uh, (laughs) And I was so excited about Jesus. I wanted to tell everybody that I knew about Jesus. And I did. I told all my friends. And uh, I told all my friends. And for some reason, I just had an ability even then to talk to people about Jesus. And they're like, that sounds good, man. I'm interested in that. And so why don't you come to, I said, well, why don't you come to church with me? It didn't, at that point in time, you guys need to know, I, I didn't care who was talking to me about Jesus. I was just going to listen to anyone, anytime, talk about Jesus. Okay. And so I brought them to this little church over off of uh, Lake Underhill Road. And, uh, and there I was, I brought my friends in and I'm just sitting there for the first time conscious of something. And that was that I felt like we were family. They felt like they, that you were not family. And so everything that they did was really strange. So first thing I noticed was, my goodness, I didn't realize our pastor was like 350 years old, you know? And, and it was just like, it was like, wow, that's really weird for them. And then they started with the, with the hymns, right? With the organ, you know, and, and some hymns are wonderful. I do love hymns, but there are some hymns by the end make you want to die. Like, I mean, like, I mean, seriously, they're so cringeworthy. And so we got out and I was like, what'd you guys think? And they were like, why did you bring us here? Like, this is the worst thing that we've ever done together. Like, why, why did you bring us here? And it's exactly that because they were not a come and see church. They actually create environments just for believers. They actually didn't care at all about people who came from the outside. We have to do better. We have to be go and tell people and we have to be come and see people so that when people come, maybe they don't agree with everything, but they go, huh, that made sense. I can see why you like this. A next step sometimes, a next step sometimes is, well, that wasn't horrible. Because maybe the next time it'll be, that wasn't terrible. That was pretty good. And then progressively, we're going to see how they go because we walk with people in evangelism. We don't just kind of try to sell them Jesus. So up on the screen, stewardship, stewardship, over and over again, stewardship is the temporary management of something that belongs to someone else. And you have temporary stewardship over the relationships you have, over the children you have, over the marriage you have, and over the church you have. I talked about this probably four weeks ago. I am the temporary steward over the leadership of Grace Church. And one day it'll be handed off to somebody else. And I got to do the best that I can to hand it off to the next generation so that when the next generation takes charge, they have a platform from which to preach the gospel going forward. And you are the temporary management, you guys are the temporary um, membership of Grace Church, and you have to steward it well as well. And our job is to go and tell and have them come and see. And the third question is this and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Paul, at heart, is a preacher. And Paul sees the primary objective of preaching to be the salvation and transformation of people who don't know God. And it's true. Paul loved preaching. He was great at it. Um, The word gospel, literally translated, is good news. It's good news. But the problem today is that the gospel no longer is received as good news. And here's the reason why. It's not the message itself. Like I told you before, I talk to people all the time about Jesus. And I think, I can't even think off the top of my head, someone who's like, stop with the Jesus junk. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't think I've ever had someone respond that way. And 
not everybody that I talk to about Jesus obviously you know, says, I'm going to give my life to Christ right now. But you know what happens over and over again because I'm in relationship with these people? Whenever I talk to them about Jesus, they'll say at the end of it, they'll say, you know what? I wish I could believe like you do. You know why? Because the gospel message is the most beautiful message in all of human history. It is, when you fell down, I loved you. When you could not provide for yourself, I provided for you. When you felt loved by no one, I loved you. It is a message of no matter what your background is, no matter what sins you've committed before, no matter what you're doing right now, I'm for you. And it's just the most beautiful thing in the world that if you will simply believe in Jesus and trust him with your life, and that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean moralistically change. Our job is not to, as we walk with people through their life, it's not to correct their behavior over and over and over again, right? I have this, uh, this happens if you're a dad of teen boys, okay? And it's, it's awesome and I love it. And, it, it, and it's, at some point, our teen boys start bowing up against us. You know what I mean? Like your kids will just, like there was a season where I couldn't walk through the house without one of them just diving on me, trying to take me down. Like it was just a thing. And it's all fun. It's all joy. It's testosterone. And, uh, and it's just, and, and it's awesome. And I love it. We'd wrestle and fight and it would be, it'd be so much fun. But there's also like this court, because they're getting their own ideas and they're pulling away and they're showing themselves strong and they are. But there's also this corresponding weakness in fathers, I think, sometimes that happens when you get older boys, and it's this, that you start just nitpicking little things. Just, you know, I wish you'd do that differently. I'd make a better decision there. I want you to try harder in that. And I've been completely 100% guilty of that. And it never actually works. But you know what works? Is walking with someone through life. And if they're going to do something that's so dangerous that it's going to destroy their life, you step between them but then you make, let them make their decisions and fall and make their decisions and fall and make their decisions and fall and make their decisions and then they do well and make their decisions and do well and fall. But you're walking with them. And then in the moment, this goes for all people who are lost, when they hit that wall and they have that one moment where their pain exceeds their ability naturally to be able to deal with it, we introduce the gospel. Why? And why are they ready to hear it? Because you've walked with them, not being a moralist, just trying to change their behavior. You've shown them that you love them. And the deepest form of love for, from a Christian is that you come to know Jesus. And our biggest hope for you is that if you're not there right now, that you continue to come and hear and listen and develop a real good understanding of why you don't believe or why you should believe. Because our hope is that you will know Christ one day. So the problem today is that the good news is no longer the good news. And when the Apostle Paul says, you know, how can they know unless somebody sent? The biggest challenge here is not the gospel message. The message is beautiful. The problem is the messengers. Because we became moralists somewhere along the way. And because we point our fingers at people and get judgy and we're angry because the government's not doing this and that's not happening. Why would anyone listen to us? We need a fundamental shift inside our hearts. You see, because the Bible says that if you walk in the Spirit... The evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is love, joy, peace. Because our roots are not here, our roots are there. Don't fix your eyes on what you see, what, what is unseen, because that lasts forever. This is an investment in something that's perishing. So when the news gets you really, really mad, just remind yourself, my citizenship is in heaven. My king is on a throne. My savior sits at the right hand. And no matter what swirls around me, the word of the Lord will endure forever. And when we are rooted there, everything swirling around us doesn't matter quite so much. And then we have the opportunity to be not just 
a, good, a, a person with a good message, but a good messenger. Look at what verse 15 says. And I think this is normative for us, verse 15. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That word's gospel. So how beautiful are the feet? In other words, how beautiful is a person? And not physical beauty. We're talking about the kind of emotional and spiritual beauty that comes from a heart set at peace. How beautiful is a heart set at peace of those who bring the gospel? That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to care that people are perishing apart from Jesus. And it's not a guilt trip because that's something the spirit will do inside of you. Just open yourself to it. But we want to be those people who walk in the truth. Here's a principle and it's as clear as I can get it for you. Here it is. Never let someone reject the gospel because the messenger stood in the way of a person hearing it. Too often people walk away from Jesus because they didn't like the messenger. And so we don't want to be those people. We, the Bible says that itself, the gospel is a stumbling block for some. So let the message be the stumbling block, not the messenger. We conform ourselves. This is what Paul said. We conform ourselves. I will become all things to all people so that I may win some. You know what that means to me? That means that when I'm talking to my non-Christian friends that I have out in the community, and they're telling me stories of wickedness that they're living in their lives, I'm listening to their stories and not going, oh, you know, that's a sin and wrong, right? I mean, when does that work? But instead, I walk with them, and I laugh with them, and I joke with them, and then I also talk about the goodness of God, and they're compelled by it. And eventually, when suffering rises to the place that our resources can't reach, I'm going to pray that that's the moment that God uses to change their life. Most of us became followers of Jesus if we didn't grow up in the church because pain introduced us to Jesus. And then what happens, though, if someone still doesn't believe? You've done everything you can. You were the good messenger. You walked in the spirit. You invested in the person. What happens if they don't respond? Verse 16 and 17 says this, because we have a history of this happening. Verse 16 and 17. But not, this is Paul talking about the Israelites. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Some of the Jews responded to Jesus' message, and they became what's called a Messianic Jew. They're still Jewish by nationality, but they're followers of Jesus as Messiah. Right? And then it says, For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So Paul's quoting someone who lived 750 years before him, and Isaiah was a guy preaching to people, and no one was listening to his message. And so he cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, who's listening to this message? And God's response to him basically is, Isaiah, you're called to preach. You're not called to transform. And so your responsibility in the proclamation of the gospel is to use your voice to be a beautiful messenger for a beautiful message. The response is on them and God. So you don't have to walk away bearing the weight of someone's salvation. Whenever someone says, get them saved today, I go, I can't do that. I could preach a good message, but I can't get someone saved. That's the providence of God. He does that. So let your heart be at rest. If you've been working on someone forever and ever and ever, and you're just overwhelmed by the fact that they're not responding, and I get it. If my children they have all received Christ to this point. And, and, and you know, some of them are young. And so if they grow up older and they, uh, they decide they don't want to walk with Jesus, I would spend the rest of my life talking to them about Jesus, showing them as well as I can in my imperfect way that Jesus is beautiful and good and that he wants to be with them forever. And I told my children when, we, when they were young, all three of them, 
hey, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus because I want us to be a family forever and ever and ever. That's beautiful. That's what we do. But if they decided to walk away from that one day, I will spend the rest of my life talking to them about Jesus. That's the heart of a person who loves someone else. If I have the greatest gift in my pocket, I'm going to give it to them as best as I possibly can. But if they refuse it, if someone in your life refuses it, that's not on you. And you do not need to walk through condemnation. Verse 17 says it. So if we give the gospel, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. You've got to preach it. You've got to talk to people about it. Faith comes from hearing the message because if they haven't heard, how can they believe? And the message is heard through the word of Christ. It is the word of Christ that transforms. It's not the words of the preacher or the words of the person. It's our words that God is using to transform the heart, but it is spiritual change that God produces in a person's life. The message is through the word of Christ. Do not invest so much in this life that the word of Christ gets lost because it becomes second priority in your life, third priority in your life, fourth priority in your life. The word of the Lord endures forever, and that's what we rest in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just ask right now that you would help us to be aware and cognizant of all the people who are in our life that don't have a relationship with you. And that we would not be passive with our voice, but that we would teach them Jesus so that they don't have to make up a version of God. Thank you that you didn't give us 10,000 paths to try to figure out in order for us to get home, but you gave us one path through one name and that anybody who wants it can have it. And so we ask right now, God, that you would make us the right preachers and messengers. Whatever's in our life right now that has made us so angry, whatever has connected us to this world too intensely, break the chains. And for those of us who feel at the end of our road, like I talked about, remind them, God, that good is ahead for them because Jesus awaits for them. And Father, we pray that you would just break the chains from the past of people who walked into this room feeling like they'll never be able to change. Your word tells us, God, you are, you are close to the brokenhearted. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.